The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you seeking meaning beyond work and consumption? Does it sometimes seem that instead of God, money rules the world and runs your life? Welcome to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. We are exploring the many aspects of our relationship with money within the grounding of our faith, our money beliefs, our sense of security, truly loving our families and making a difference in the world. Now, here is your host, Mike Little. Hello and welcome to Faith and Money, Making the Connection. I'm your host, Mike Little, Director of Faith and Money Network. Millions of people of faith are making the connection between the way we live and the looming environmental crisis. We know we need to change our dependence on fossil fuels and to use water more wisely, but the scale of the crisis is daunting, and the life habits that got us into this mess are deeply ingrained. It can be tempting to throw our hands up in defeat. It's just too much trouble and I'm too busy to figure out a different way of doing things. And it doesn't matter anyway, does it? How can just one person make any difference in a situation that is truly global? But as people of faith, do we really have the luxury of opting out? Throughout the Bible, we are called into God's presence through creation. The earth is the Lord's. We are reminded again and again. The sea, fields, and forests sing the glory of God. God loves us through creation, providing all that we need. And we are specifically charged by God to be creation's faithful stewards, its guardians and caregivers. Do we live as if we believe that? Do we even recognize how our relationship to money is an obstacle to living in more just and sustainable ways? Our guest today will illustrate for us what happens when we love God and God's people enough to take a step toward life choices that honor God's creation. Joelle Novi directs Interfaith Power and Light in the greater Washington, D.C. area, which supports hundreds of congregations of all faith traditions in their responses to climate change. Climate change. Welcome, Joelle. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Joelle, you work with religious congregations of many faiths in Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Why do people in those congregations care about creation? Um, in my experience, folks come to their religious communities, they come to their churches and their, and their other faith communities um, to reflect on how their actions connect to the wider world and how they might more fully live out their own values and their own um, scriptures with respect to, to the to the world around them, um, and so when when we talk with congregations, we sit in folding chairs in folks' church basements um, almost every Sunday, and we ask them to think about specifically their electricity use, the energy they're using to light their own sanctuaries, and we we say uh, we ask that question: Where is that electricity being made, and how does that impact their neighbors? Um, and once. Um, 
once people reflect on that, they understand that the electricity they're using to light their own sacred spaces, to light their own sanctuaries, was made in many um, cases by burning coal, coal that was blasted out of the Appalachian Mountains through a very destructive process called uh, mountaintop removal coal mining. Um, it was a processed and burned in ways that created um, a lot of sickness for the people who live around those, those plants um, and put mm-hmm. mercury into the water and mercury into the air um, and caused air pollution. Um, and then finally, when we focus on the ways that burning uh, coal for our electricity is warming our climate, um, making it, uh, causing all kinds of suffering uh, around the world to our neighbors around the world and also um, to future generations, um, it feels uh, like they really want to do right by their neighbors and do right mm-hmm. by future generations and reflect on what it what might mean to more fully live out their um, their scriptures and their values uh, once they understand the consequences of their electricity use. Yeah. Do you think, uh, has it been your experience uh, that people of faith have always been a part of the environmental movement or is the interest and concern more kind of recent in response to our understanding of climate change? Well, certainly religious people have always reflected on the natural world as a, as a manifestation of God's, um, God's, God's gifts and, and, and um, God's word. Uh, all of our religious traditions um, come from a time when people lived closer to the land and we're more aware of the cycles of seasons and um, more, more mindful of um, their dependence on the natural world to survive. Um, so we certainly see lots of environmental consciousness in our traditions that, um, that goes right back to the beginning. Um, right. But I think in terms of getting involved, um, specifically engaging religious communities in environmental activism today, um, that, that's something that has been growing and, um, and uh, becoming more and more of an important part of the um, larger environmental movement. And I think there are a few reasons for that. So I'm, my Interface Power and Light is one of over 40 state affiliates of Interface Power and Light, where people of faith of different traditions are working together to respond to climate change around the country. Um, and I think one of the things that we've been seeing as we do this work is that there's a unique value and importance to religious communities uh, participating in the larger climate movement. Uh, the first reason is that people listen differently in their congregations. I like to say they listen with their moral ears. Mm-hmm. So even when we talk about issues, climate change has become very politicized in um, parts of our society so that when people hear about it at work or hear about it um, in some other setting, they might hear it as being a, a political issue, um, and that their political identity might prevent them from listening. Um, but when people talk about something at church, they, they hear it as a matter of right and wrong, and about doing right by our neighbors, about doing right by the natural world, doing right by future generations. Um, and so they, they, it reframes the issue for them as a moral issue, and that's a really powerful thing that I really do believe that those of us doing religious environmental work are reaching people with messages that they could not hear anywhere else, that they're gotcha. only able to hear because we're speaking to them in their faith community. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, the other side of that is about how religious communities transform the environmental movements of which they are a part. And I've seen over and over again that when religious people are moved by their faith to get involved in 
environmental advocacy and environmental action, and they speak out from a deeply rooted spiritual place about the issues that they care about and why, they are heard differently. I've seen many times that religious leaders, religious voices, can really get attention in environmental campaigns sometimes um, that the likely suspects struggle to get. Mm-hmm. So people mm-hmm. in faith communities listen differently and they are heard differently. So I'm a huge believer in the unique, powerful value of engaging religious communities in environmental advocacy. Well, share with us what uh, congregations are doing to reduce their energy use and how effective are their efforts? Um. Well, I encourage the groups in congregations to try and tackle things actually um, to do sort of three things at once, to do something that educates, that engages more people in the community in environmental um, uh, teaching and and reflection, um, to do something that reduces their actual um, footprint, (laughs) to green Mm -hmm. their work in their congregations or at home. And finally, we support them in doing some kind of speaking out for environmental advocacy issues. So I encourage them to do one thing in each category and, and only one in each category at any given time so things don't get too overwhelming, because I know sometimes the project of confronting this global problem in your little community can be very overwhelming. Um, yeah. Specifically in that, ca- so, so that there are these three categories, but one of them is about greening the way we do things in our buildings and greening the way that we do things in our homes. Um, so um, we... Uh, support congregations in using some of the resources that are out there to reduce their electricity use in their congregational buildings. Um, a national resource that, that is available is called the EPA's Energy Star for Congregations program. There's a free software called Portfolio Manager that allows any congregation to do a benchmark of their current energy use and then track how well they're doing as they take various measures to reduce their energy use. Um, we uh, have light switch reminders that we give out to all of our congregations that say, we care for creation, please remember to turn off this light, and we put those up all around the building uh, as to kind of remind ourselves and incline our hearts towards thinking about energy as a, as a religious issue for us as a community. Um, we, we in this region are able to organize group clean energy purchases. That's not possible in every state, but um, we support uh, our congregations in purchasing clean energy together as a group, so they're supporting clean energy through their energy dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and a number of our congregations locally have, well, I should say, uh, one other thing we've been able to do is partner with um, groups that are doing home energy audits and weatherization work, and we have workshops in congregations where people think about how they can save energy at home and kind of get them connected to the companies and organizations that can provide them with home energy audits and weatherization. Because we really do feel like your energy use is one of the most direct ways to connect anyone with um, with the climate problem, and and kind of confronting those connections is a really powerful place to start. You know, your energy bill is the thing that connects you most directly to the climate change problem globally. Um, yeah. And finally, uh, a number of congregations have found ways to finance solar panels on their own properties, um, and that's very inspiring when it's possible. Um, there's a church in Washington, D.C. called St. Albans, and when they dedicated their solar panels, the priest climbed up on the roof to bless the panels with incense himself, and the choir sang from the parking lot below, and they, they call those panels their new stained glass windows um, <laughs> that really proclaims their story to the world. So 
Um, we, we are consulting with lots of congregations that are trying to do that to get their energy from heaven, as it were, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because it, it is so um, powerful and inspiring and transformative when that is possible. I would guess that's it's helpful to have those other alternatives because in these budget times, I know many faith communities struggle to raise enough money just to meet day-to-day expenses. So to have some other options uh, that can you know that can work with us that are out there is helpful. And can we find that uh, those options uh, on your website or just give you give you a call? Sure. Um, any congregations that are are folks who are part of congregations in the D.C. metro area or the state of Maryland are welcome <clears throat> to contact um, our Interface Power and Light, gwipl.org. Um, uh, for anyone else, uh, there chances are that there's an Interface Power and Light group in your state that specializes in engaging religious communities in this good work. Um, and for that, you could go to interfaithpowerandlight.org with all of those words spelled out, um, and you can look by state for... Um, a similar organization in your area. Gotcha. Um, but the, the, the point you make, Mike, is a good one, that um, many congregations are very concerned about expenses um, mm-hmm. and will evaluate any green, any green idea um, in terms of whether it will save them money. Um, and what we see a lot, um, and this is, uh, we work a lot with what we call the green sheep in the community. <laughs> right. There's usually somebody in there, somebody in that congregation in any congregation, in my experience, somebody who feels like the green sheep in their community. They, they feel called to respond to, their, to the problem of climate change in a way that is, is Christian or is, is in line with their faith, um, and they are looking for ways to, to do that um, in, in, this, in their sacred community. Um, uh, and part of what our organization is trying to do is help those green sheep flock together and know that they have company and cheer them on in that effort. Um, But often they encounter a question that I think is a little bit of a trap. So sometimes when they're talking about let's purchase clean energy uh, through our energy bill or let's um, get an audit of our building or let's um, think about solar pa- panels and the financing, uh, they're often asked, when will this pay for itself? Right, when will the, right. what, what, what's the payback period? Um, and on the one hand, it's a, it's a reasonable question because so many of the things we do to save energy in our buildings or to produce clean energy in our buildings really will pay for themselves. Uh, they, they'll save money. They'll cost money in the short term and save money over the long term. And, um, and there is a, a point at which you, you make your money back. So it's a reasonable question to ask, but it also, I think, reveals that the people asking the question don't fully see caring for creation as a core ministry of the congregation at that point. Um, that, you know, nobody asks, when will the Bible study pay for itself? Or right, when, will, right. <laughs> when will the yeah. soup kitchen pay for itself? Nobody asks that question because people see those activities, teaching scripture and and feeding the hungry as core ministries of the, of the congregation, that, that that is the congregation living out the very purpose for which it was founded. And I, I believe strongly that we need to all be working for the day when caring for God's creation is seen as central and core to the mission of our congregation. So the question, when will it pay for itself, is not the only question we can ask. We can also ask, what should we be doing to care for God's creation in this community? And that that's right. the question that would guide us um, and, and, and sort of win the day. What, um, 
impact does the environmental work have on uh, relationships within the congregation or in the broader community? Have you seen people really kind of build community around this issue? Well, one of the blessings and the challenges of the climate change problem is that we're definitely not going to solve it without all working together. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the reasons that I think it's such a uh, powerful basis for interfaith collaboration here in in our area. Um, it, it turns out that so that those of us who um, maybe in the past saw ourselves as very different from each other because of our different faith traditions actually confront very similar problems in trying to green our facilities or green our congregations or speak out on environmental issues. Um, and we've seen over and over again that the, the green sheep from the Muslim communities and the green sheep from the Jewish communities and the green sheep from the Christian communities and other communities all recognize in each other a common um, passion and a common concern, and that building that kind of interfaith community around this work has been a really um, powerful way of uh, providing some community for those uh, those green sheep who are laboring away in their own communities. Um. Yeah. Hey, uh, folks, we're going to take a quick break. Um, we're talking with uh, Joel Novi and uh, who works at the Interfaith Power and Light here in the Washington, D.C. area. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Want the inside scoop about what's going on in the social networks of art and entertainment? Tune in to Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com. We'll talk to the top professionals in the entertainment industry and find out what they're working on and what's next. Your host is James Barber, who has his finger on the pulse of the arts and entertainment world. Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com, live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listening to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little and this week's show. Joelle, what was your personal point of engagement on environmental issues? Uh, so I personally come from the Jewish tradition and um, was part has been have been part of Jewish communities my my whole life and um, and I as I've become increasingly aware of and concerned about climate change sometimes the question occurs to me you know 
wouldn't it be nice not to have to care about this? You know, it's so stressful mm. and so overwhelming sometimes and so sad to think about, uh, to really think about climate change. And so sometimes I think, well, wouldn't it, well, what would I have to do to not care about this? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and first of all, I would have to not care about any people who live in other countries because it's really people in the developing parts of the world uh, that are being hit first and hardest by the consequences of our warming climate. Um, and then I would have to not care about anyone who will be alive in the world after I'm gone because um, it's really future generations that will be hit um, the hardest by the consequences of our changing climate. Um, and finally, I would have to not care about any non-human species of plants and animals because, um, because it's something like really hard to take into your heart, but something like a third, you know, of all, all plants and all animals might not be able to uh, survive in a rapidly warming climate. Um, Bill McKibben, uh, climate activist, says that we are running Genesis in reverse in this generation. Mm. Um, but then I think about the things I was taught in the communities where I was raised, um, in my faith communities. And, um, first of all, I was taught that human dignity transcends any kind of boundary, any kind of country. We know every, every human being, you know, needs to be honored as, a, as a, you know, ma- made in the image of God. So I can't really write off people who live in other countries. <laughs> mm, right. Um, you know, and I was taught, um, Every religious, every Jewish community I was ever part of cherished children, you know, and really thought about transmission of the tradition to the next generation as, as core to what it was about and, and really took solace in the idea that we were, we had inherited this long a- ancient tradition and we're passing it on to the future as, as part of what our mission and, you know, purpose in life was. Um, so I can't really write off future generations uh, in a way that's true to my upbringing. Sure. Um, and finally, I was taught that um, uh, the, rabbi, the rabbis have a quote that even the gnats and fleas have their appointed role in creation. <laughs> that it's really not up to us to decide which species are important. <laughs> that mm. all, of, all of the created world is God's, is God's creation, and, and therefore it has some, some inherent value that's not just about human, human needs. Um, so when I, make my, I could make my world small enough not to have to care about climate change, but it would be so lonely. I'd be really cutting myself <laughs> off from everything that I've been taught and everything I've, I believe. So, um, so I would rather, yeah. I've decided for myself that I would rather be kind of whole and honest to my values and heartbroken about climate change and trying to find ways to, to move forward than I would making my world so small that I don't have to care about this. Right. Joelle, your approach seems very positive and with a focus on how we can be a part of the solution to the global warming crisis but the issue itself is, frankly, terrifying, and the prospects that governments and businesses and households worldwide will reduce their carbon emissions to a degree that would make any real difference in our overall climate health seem yeah. depressingly slim, but you are very, very hopeful uh, <laughs> in your, your own story and your work. But I, I just wonder, uh, where do you find hope and how do you offer people hope? Where I find hope is in forming community to respond together. This problem can be very isolating and scary, and it uh, can cut us off from each other. And the one thing I can offer the communities I work with is that we're going to be in this together. We're going to form community to respond. Um, so that, that's, my, that's my big answer to where do I find hope. Um, 
The other thing is I think we all need to be engaged in advocacy that gets at larger solutions to the problems at the state and national level because uh, that helps to make the solutions feel on the scale of the size of the problem. Um, but I, I, I can't offer um, the congregations I work with um, uh, you know, a solution to global climate change, but I can offer them that we will be in community together as they reflect and respond and take action, and um, that is going to have to be enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, Joelle, we sure appreciate your time with us. Your experience with so many congregations offers a rich spectrum of how people are responding to climate change. It's encouraging to hear how many communities of faith are actively engaged as stewards of creation. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's been great to be here. Yeah. With that encouragement, let's look even more personally into our own homes, our own choices of how we do things. How do we respond as individuals? What might it look like to live as if we believed God has put creation in our care? I don't know that anyone has the answer to that, but I do know that many people are experimenting, challenging themselves to find a way of doing the everyday tasks of living in a way that honors creation and takes seriously our role as stewards. Brian Higgins is one of those people. Motivated by their faith commitments, Brian and his wife, Hetty, continuously explore new ways to reduce their carbon footprint, teaching their young daughter and having fun along the way. He walks to his job as a psychiatric social worker at a Tacoma Park, Maryland hospital. Welcome, Brian. Glad to be here. Brian, uh, you are known as a green sheep around the Washington, D.C. area. How did you earn that distinction? Well, that's a moniker that was first applied to me by you, Mike, since we're both <laughs> fellow congregants in the same church. Uh, it's a phrase that's been coined, or a term that's been coined by Joelle, and uh, I think it's very valid that I think that basically what she's alluding to is that in each congregation there's someone, at least one person, who is environmentally concerned, and that he or she is looking for the support and for a listening audience within the congregation to hear what their, what their feelings are about the environment. Uh, <clears throat> sounds like you are really serious about reducing your carbon footprint. And many of us don't know as much as you do or what Joel was talking about and uh, about our impact on the environment. Uh, what does carbon footprint mean and why is it so important to reduce uh, our carbon footprint? Well, it's important because CO2 is, is one of the primary gases that, when emitted into the atmosphere, affects climate change. And so <clears throat> we need to take a look at what, how our daily activity can create this kind, uh, this creates CO2 gas. And it involves um, looking at our daily activity and saying, well, where is there emissions going on from in this case, our household. And CO2 is the, it, the CO2 itself becomes somewhat of a barometer or a measure to kind to, to, to sort of find out exactly what your impact is. And there are specific places within the home and on our property in which CO2 emissions occur. And quite, and a lot more than what we might assume. Mm-hmm. 
So CO2 is, uh, footprint is, is a very good means of starting moving towards some kind of idea about what we can do specifically to, to address climate, uh, climate change. Gotcha. And um, I was very surprised about the numbers that I found in terms of my CO2 footprint, which um, started with me doing some calculations and finding out that an average household of three, which is my household, which is my wife, myself, and my daughter, that on average you can emit something to the degree of 20,000 pounds of CO2 into the atmosphere on an annual basis. And so we're talking about almost 30 tons of CO2 coming from a single household. And that is a particular measure that um, is pretty overwhelming. But it also gives you an idea of just what our impact is. And from there is a good starting point. It's the genesis of knowing where to go in terms of reducing that. Gotcha. Brian, how has your faith shaped the choices that you've made? <laughs> well, it, it shaped everything, really. Uh, my perspective is, my belief is that everything is a spiritual matter and that violence, guns, AIDS, poverty, pollution, all of these are a are issues within our within our country and also within the world that have to do with an absence of God, that there's an absence of grace that is not responding to these issues. And can we expand our understanding of where there's an absence of God that would include what's happening with the environment? Uh, my feeling is, is that when nature or the environment thrives, that love and grace and God are thriving as well. And where it's not thriving, there is no love and there is no grace. And as a, hopefully, a responsible Christian, I have to say to myself, well, how do I bring love and grace to this particular issue? Because it's my responsibility to do so. Mm-hmm. How did you uh, get started with uh, making the connection between the way you personally live and, and uh, the environment and, and global climate change? Yeah. Well, I think it actually began with uh, finding out about my CO2 footprint. When, it's, when I started uh, getting, becoming an issue of, of tons <laughs> rather than hundreds of pounds, um, I think that really was a motivator for me. 30 tons emitted by, by the small cottage that we have and 18% of an acre that we have. And... You know, it just made sense to me that if I really wanted to do something about climate change, this looming environmental crisis that's ahead of us, then I better start working on that, that CO2 footprint right away and started coming up with some ideas what to do. Well, tell us a little bit about the ways you've attacked that. Well, there, there were three <clears throat> things that within our household the three items that I felt were creating the most, the most CO2, that being the use of our electricity, how we heat the home, and also the use of our car. And, you know, Joelle sort of alluded to the idea that most electricity that we use uh, <clears throat> is coming from probably a, a uh, coal, coal plant of some kind, 
and that when we reduce our amount of electricity, we reduce the amount of kilowattage, therefore we reduce the amount of CO2 that's emitted from these coal plants that we're connected to. So first thing to do was to consider solar panels. And Joel is right. There are, there are these ingenious business models now that solar companies are, are putting out for people like myself. My wife and I, we're clinical social workers. We don't make very, that, you know, we don't have the best of salaries. Yet we are finding ways to to even incorporate or integrate into our property the uh, the use of solar panels. And the way that this business model goes is that you don't own the panels. You don't have to front load with a huge amount of money in order to purchase these solar panels, in which, you know, getting your money back would take a long period of time. What you do is that you lease the solar panels. You don't own them. You lease them from the company. They install them. They'll deinstall them if you need a, root, a new roof, or they'll deinstall them and move them to a new home if you happen to move. They do all of the repairs, take care of any you know future damage that might happen to it. Uh, all the maintenance is taken care of, and you're in a situation where you're just gleaning you know the uh, the blessings and the fruits of of having most of your electricity. In my case, eighty percent of my electricity covered by photovoltaic panels, the, um, it's a good deal, hmm. and it works well. And what, these business, what this business model does is that it gives an opportunity for middle to upper middle class families to really consider taking on you know, some, uh, some significant green living uh, by putting solar panels on their roof. Mm-hmm. The other thing we did was the car which is about a third of my CO2 footprint on an annual basis. And what I did is that I converted my car to run on vegetable oil. And this is where it starts getting really fun, that there are some alternatives out there that really make, um, you know, running your car and doing, doing an errand and feeling the tragedy of global warming feel very much better. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the sense that uh, now I have this alternative fuel, I have a dual tank that was... Uh, incorporated into my car. It was a particular retrofitting that was done for about $2,000, which I got back because of the free fuel of vegetable oil coming from local restaurants and filtering that at home. Um, I was able to pay that off in 10 months. Mm -hmm. So now we have a veggie car, which my five-year-old daughter likes to call the carrot car. (laughs) And this is... uh, you know, our means of transportation that has dramatically reduced the, uh, the emissions of our, of our vehicle. And um, the other was, how would we heat our home? Well, we live in a, a pretty funky neighborhood in uh, Tacoma Park where there are very uh, amazing amount of progressive ideas going on and a lot of consideration to alternative fuels and alternative means of heating homes. And there happened to be a... Uh, co-op in our area that 75 families have come together and have decided to pay a local farmer to grow a certain amount of hectare of corn. He takes that corn and delivers it to a corn silo that's here in the township of Tacoma Park. And we go to the silo once a month and collect our corn in our buckets. And we have what's called a pellet stove.
stove or a corn-burning stove in the middle of our living room with all kinds of fans and computerized chips that basically sends out an alternative heating source into our home. And as a consequence, uh, we haven't turned on our furnace for more than six years. Wow. So how much is a heating bill for you? Heating bill right now is probably about 25 to $30 a month. Yeah. And that's through the winter months as well. And the reason being that we still have natural gas connected to our dryer and also to our hot water heating system. And both of those systems are going to be changed to something greener in the future mm-hmm. so that maybe we can get that particular heating bill to zero. Gotcha. But we no longer use natural gas in order to heat the entire home. That's mm-hmm. being covered by something else. Right. What change in your way of doing something has proven to be the hardest to make? Um, I would think, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say if any of it is difficult. You know, these particular activities, let's say going once a month to the corn silo in order to, get, to retrieve corn and bring that home, I consider that to be sort of an alternative leisure activity. You know, mm, it's yeah. one leisure activity could be, uh, you know, watching TV for an hour or two. Rather, I'm out now doing another alternative leisure activity, which is collecting corn, not to mention taking my daughter with me, and there's all kinds of, she's a very inquisitive and curious young girl, so there's all kinds of questions about, you know, what are you doing, Daddy? You know, why is it that no one else in the neighborhood has a corn stove, and why do we do this, and so on? And there's all kinds of opportunities to to share my values, my environmental values to her. But um, I really don't perceive it as being... uh, it could be perceived as being somewhat labor-intensive, but if you wanted to use that paradigm in order to interpret what I do, then really there's not that much work that goes into filtering vegetable oil, use vegetable oil for my car, and certainly not that much time in order to collect corn to, to heat the house. Right, right. Hey, folks, thank you, Brian. We're going to take a break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Faith and Money Making the Connection. up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here. Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Ready for a unique two-show-in-one package? Check out Life's Journey with Tim Manson, the 7-Minute Motivator. On the one part, we're all about changing minds, one heart at a time. Tim will show you how to overcome struggles in your life and come out winning, as Tim is overcoming his struggle with MS. On the flip side, Tim will show you how the power and spirit of the horse and equine-assisted learning programs can inspire and empower you to take that winning edge to a new level. It really is two shows in one. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little and this week's show. Brian, you talked about taking your daughter with you to to get the corn. I wonder what else, um, what do you want your daughter to know and how do you include her? Well, you know, greening one's life has a lot to do with, you know, looking at the particular structures that you use in order to, you know, live and, you know, uh, adapting them or finding alternative means to heat, heat them or whatever the case may be. Um, but this is, this is an internal journey as well. And this is about greening of the soul. This is about somehow being able to transcend, transcend that separateness that we lost long ago in our relationship with nature. This is something that the Native American Indians would never admit to in terms of they knowing that they are an integrated, intrinsic, intimate part of nature and that they have a function within it. And um, this is what I want to impart on my daughter. I want her to have a greening of the self. I want her soul to reflect some kind of emerald color. (laughs) You know, in terms of how my life and how I, and the environmental concerns and systems that I've put in place somehow reflect my values about the environment. And this is something that I hope that my daughter will inculcate along the way. Yeah. One of the most important things that I can do as a father and as a person that's really looking to, to sort of educate and to bring these concerns to future generations who will face it much in a much more dire way than we will. Right. Brian, how have your projects enriched your relationships with your neighbors? Mm, that's been a wonderful process. Uh, number one is that they see all these, you know, funky, strange things because they're popping up on my property. And, of course, they're very <laughs> curious. I have a bee apiary. I have soon to have chickens. I have a thousand square foot garden. I have a greenhouse. I have solar panels. I have a corn burning stove. All of these things, you know, the neighbors are taking an interest in. This is where a single person, just like Jesus, who never traveled more than 10 miles from his hometown, you know, had a global, you know, obviously a global impact in terms of his witness to the world. And I hope to do the same. But one thing I did this summer was that um, I set up, about every two weeks or so, I set up a small table at the end of my driveway and started selling some of the produce and the honey and so on and soon eggs, uh, to, to my neighbors. And it was just a wonderful opportunity for neighbors to come uh, to just talk about the environment, talk about these, you know, alternative systems that, you know, are, are here on the, that are there on the property. Um, many of them wanted to go into the backyard to observe. They wanted mm-hmm. to see the bees. They wanted to see the garden. Um, this is where the home and the property, what I call God's little 18% of an acre, basically becomes a witness, right. you know, that uh, we are showcasing some, some part of the kingdom and, or some aspect of the kingdom that I think is unique and extraordinary. And, you know, and 
people are taking heart. You know, they're looking at it, they're observing it, and it has improved our relationships. It, it helps to build community within our within our neighborhood. I even see more and more gardens sort of, uh, you know, surfacing in people's backyards. Did we have an influence on that? I'm not sure. Uh, we do have a, a spring project coming up in which there's a vacant lot on the corner just a block away from our home, which will become a community garden. Mm-hmm. And we hope to incorporate all kinds of community activities there for just increasing and, you know, bringing depth and width to, to that relationship between the neighbors. Right. I know you have also developed relationships beyond your neighborhood. You joined us on a trip of perspective to central Appalachia last summer where we met people who are working to protect their mountains from mountaintop removal coal mining that uh, Joelle mentioned. Uh, What did you learn from that trip and did it shape any of your green initiatives at home? Well, I can't think of any other experience that I've had that probably has impacted me you know, in terms of my convictions about the environment and that particular trip. It was the most comprehensive environmental destruction that I've ever seen. Basically, these coal companies have decided, rather than hiring hundreds or thousands of miners to go underground and extract the coal, they'll just blow the lid right off of the mountain and basically extract the coal by that means. And, you know, the the destruction is just overwhelming. And... I think it had a lot to do with the particular perspective that was, you know, uh, offered us, which was to get in a plane and to fly over it. And here you could see it all, all at once. You could see all of its, you know, impact on the people that live around it, on the flora and the fauna of all the mountains and valleys. One of the things that it did is that, you know, here are these, you know, rocks and boulders that were deep within the ground that have now been brought to the surface through erosion, which is wind, sun, and rain, all of the heavy metals and toxins like mercury and others are sort of, you know, coming off of these boulders and running down into the streams and rivers of the valleys and causing just havoc for everyone, causing havoc for the animals, causing havoc for the human culture that has embraced these mountains for hundreds of years and to see that, you know, their cancer rates have increased and so on. Um, I came out of that with a gaping wound in my heart. I came out of that feeling more terrified and more scared about the environment than I ever had before. And it was a good thing. And the sense that we really do need to grieve. Joel had said something about, you know, how do we just deal with this white elephant issue of global warming. It's so overwhelming, so tragic, so terrifying. And really, I think the first thing that we need to do is to open our hearts up to the sadness of it. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh has a quote. Somebody came to him and said, what, um, what can we do to save the earth? And Thich Nhat Hanh's, you know, response was, well, basically we need to look within to hear the sounds of the earth crying. And that when we can get to a point where we can carry, you know, we can grieve and we can carry the pain of what's happening to an earth that's ill, I think that that is the beginning of action, uh, and and specifically personal action. Um, God comes to us, you know, his access into our lives is through our wounds. And the access of our lives is 
also through the wounds of the earth. You know, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Uh, you know, God loves the world as much as he loves humans. And, you know, he's expecting us to respond. And I think if we can attune ourselves to the suffering that the earth is experiencing right now, I think that we will see a global environmental movement that we've never seen before. Yeah, yeah. Brian, before I let you go, um, uh, what keeps you going in the face of such overwhelming and such a threatening situation? What, where do you uh, find support? What gives you hope? Well, um, first, my lovely family and my wonderful wife who puts up with all of this with me. <laughs> and um, certainly my wonderful daughter who um, just responds in such a wonderful way to everything that's happening you know, with our, with our property and home. Um, I also receive a lot of support from church. And, um, you know, I'm a green sheep, and I am the green sheep most likely of my congregation. And, you know, I wear that moniker prod- proudly. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, and I really do feel that, you know, there is respect there for that. And uh, people do listen to me. And I know that uh, any any initiative that I was to take environmentally within the church would be heard and most likely, most likely acted upon. Yeah. And my last uh, support would be just God uh, and prayer and knowing that he will have the last word on this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to end if I could tell a story if we have a little bit of time, but when I was a young adult, I remember living in Princeton, New Jersey and just walking down the sidewalk and I looked up and here were these lines of cherry blossom trees going down the road, and they were sort of dropping their cherry blossom petals like snow. It was just very gentle and very peaceful and very beautiful. And all of a sudden, I just felt the creation loving itself, that God was loving himself, that God was finding intimacy by sort of looking towards creation for, for relationship, for that intimacy. And I think that God calls us to do the same, that, you know, can we find ourselves, can we find our green self by finding and, and communing in an intimate and deep way with, the, with nature and yeah. to see if we can reestablish and, again, transcend that separateness and reestablish the kind of relationship that we once had with the earth. Right. Well, Brian, thank you so much for sharing your journey You're with us. And it's remarkable how you can have such an impact by doing one thing at a time a little differently. I think you make it seem feasible to make a genuine difference by being intentional and consistent in how we live. So thank you, Brian. You are welcome. It's time for us to take a step towards sustainability. Joelle and Brian have given us lots of ideas today for things we can do to contribute to solutions to our environmental problems. Choose one of those ideas and start today. Or choose one of these action steps. Try doing differently just once, something that would require a change of habit if you did it regularly. For example, put your TV and other entertainment equipment on a power strip to turn completely off at night. Or hang one load of laundry to air dry. You don't have to have a clothesline or special equipment to do this. You can just hang clothes on hangers on your shower curtain rod. Or take public transportation to one destination this week. Or any idea that makes sense for you. Just try it. You might find it's not as hard as you thought and might even have some unexpected benefits. 
Talk to your family or a friend about what you're doing and why. You may be surprised to find out that they too are doing a few of their daily tasks in ways that are kinder to our planet. Our second action step is to have an energy audit done in your home or your church or both. Most utility companies offer these free audits to evaluate our energy use and recommend strategies, large and small, to reduce our energy usage. Contact your utility company today to start the process. It's an easy way to find out where you and your congregation can have the greatest impact in the most time and cost efficient ways. Our challenge step today is very important. Find a community to engage with on environmental practices and advocacy. Our guests today made clear how hopeful and effective it can be to act together as creation's stewards. Is there at least one other person in your congregation you can talk to about environmental stewardship? Or look for a local organization, such as Interfaith Power and Light, the Sierra Club, Nature Conservancy, or 350.org that may be active in your town. People of good hearts can be found there to help you keep taking one step at a time. As our hearts and minds open to the possibilities of being active stewards of creation, what will our specific actions be? Will we make the daily choices about how we will live and how many resources we will consume? Will we advocate for policy change? Will we join with others to make environmental stewardship a central mission of our faith communities? I would love to hear where you decide to take your next step and if there's a way I can stand with you. Send me an email at mike at faithandmoneynetwork.org. We will be praying for your work and ask that you pray for ours as well. That's part of being community together in this adventure of faith. Thank you for sharing this time with us today. You are now part of the Faith and Money Network, joining together to live into God's economy of enough for all, of solidarity and of action grounded in love. Blessings on the journey. Thank you for joining us this week on Faith and Money, Making the Connection. Please tune in again next Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, for another edition with your host, Mike Little, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Take a step this week to let your faith shape your money choices. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.